Hello, legends. Welcome to hey, today. Hey, it's our turn to introduce you. Okay. We've got a very special show here today. It's Anthony and Alice. We have hijacked the Catching Up with Cubs studio and we're going to interview Daniel Hakim, Cubs founder and CEO. We're going to be talking a bit about Dan the man, uh, the man behind the business, and we're going to be talking about Cubs vision and future. It's going to be a great show. Let's do it. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here today. This is Ant-Man. I'm here with Alice uh, and we have taken control of the Catching Up With Cub podcast studio. And uh, lo and behold, we have a very special guest today, the Club of United Business or Cub founder and CEO, my very good friend, Daniel Hakim. Welcome, mate. You guys kidnapped well, my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We've hijacked you. How does it feel being at the steering wheel? Very good. How does it feel being on the other end? It feels weird, to be honest with you. I'm sitting in the guest chair. It's kind of thrown me off my dynamic. Fantastic. Well, mate, we're, we're very excited. <laughs> it's good to know you're not feeling that comfortable. We're very excited to hear some, uh, find out a bit more today about uh, a few things. Dan the man and, uh, and Cub and, uh, you know, ideation, history and, and future. So, Dan, why don't you tell us uh, what our listeners should be expecting to achieve from from this conversation today to kick off? Well, I don't know. I feel like I feel like uh, um, be good to get to know me a little better. I mean, I normally do the interviewing, and and uh, I think it'd be great for people to know who's this crazy man that's that's interviewing all these impressive people. And and um, I guess I'd love to share a bit more about Cub from my you know from my own. My own words and and uh, what we've got coming up and and just really cool things like that. Fantastic. Well, I guess we'll maybe we'll start with with Dan, with the individual, with the man, man behind the man, the myth. <laughs> I love like every time he says Dan, it's like <laughs> the man, the myth, the individual, <laughs> the human being. And uh, and then we'll we'll move on um, and talk a bit about Cub, as you said, it's, cool. its history, its ideation, and its future. Um, now we we know Dan the man, but uh, why don't we the talk individual, about, the human? <laughs> <laughs> why don't we talk a bit about Dan the boy? You know, t- tell us a bit about your your background, your your upbringing, um, yeah. and uh, let's start with that. Yeah, well, I mean, I was I was obviously born in in Sydney, and uh, I come from a very mixed family, a bit of a cocktail. My mum's from Mexico, and my dad's from Lebanon. Uh, I was born here in Sydney, and uh, I, I grew up in uh, like most people know. I did my high schooling and a bit of uni in, in Paris. Um, I come from a, a business family, so it was very natural for me to, I guess, serve uh, business people, to serve entrepreneurs, and and to 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 want to to create something that that really supports them and celebrates them, and and um, and yeah, I guess well, uh, what do you want to know about my childhood? Yeah, maybe elements of your childhood that you feel have have deeply impacted and and led you to to where you are today, and and of course, Cub as well. Without a doubt, and and I mean, maybe I've told you this once before, but uh, without a doubt, Cub is is truly a um, a result of my of my upbringing. It was, it, it's actually a result of um, my two biggest idols, which is my parents, and and uh, I kind of combined the two things that both of them taught me. And uh, and created a company out of it, and and that was that was the I guess the um, the impact from my mother in being the you know the loving the family the 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 beautiful morals and always trying to do well by people and 
and the, the understanding of community and, and the understanding of family. And I kind of um, combined that with the, the ambition and the, the, the brain power and the tenacity and, and that kind of business grunt from, from dad. And, and uh, I mean, I, would, I didn't know this at the start when I was starting Cub, but, but as um, time has progressed and, and as I reflect on myself and my business, um, I can definitely see Cub is literally just putting together the lessons of mum and dad. It's, it's the family and it's the business and, and boom, now we have a business family. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's, uh, that, that would probably be the biggest, the biggest um, impact Cub's had on me. But uh, as you know, um, uh, I did move to Paris uh, at a, uh, when I was maybe 13 or 14 and, and uh, that was really scary. We have a very big family here in, in Sydney. We had a very close family. Um, and, you know, we see our cousins every weekend and I grew up in Hunters Hill in Woolwich. And so, I mean, you were there <laughs> when we were kids. <laughs> we were. And, and so, and so um, I was taken away from all of that and, and uh, uh, taken overseas by my family following, I guess, my father's ambitions uh, in business uh, internationally. And, and uh, we grew up in Paris. So uh, that really put me, it, it kind of opened my eyes to the world. And, and uh, I was thrown into uh, the American school which is basically a school full of, of, of kids, um, you know, with families from business, big families of business and, and politics and, and, you know, you had Arab princes and, 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 and all these incredible, these British people and <laughs> all sorts of, uh, you know, people I wasn't necessarily used to, to dealing with. And, and I just saw how quickly having an incredible network and, and knowing being just naturally by being surrounded by a group of people can impact your life and and seeing that like and just how much there is in the world and how much there is for the taking and seeing that I guess um maybe it didn't result actually maybe I never thought about it like this but it probably did help me with carbon that you know the, I did see how a network can benefit you yeah. um and I just figured that out. <laughs> but, but that very well could have been. Yeah, that, that very well could. I, I always attributed my experience overseas to the ambition and to the seeing how nice the world can be, and how, how, you know, and wanting wanting more. But uh, very well, that could have impacted the networking aspect of Cub as well. I, I don't doubt it for a second. So you've you've almost got this this formation of uh, of your fundamental values um, coming from your mother and your father. You've got the drive. You've got the family, and then you have this spark. Uh, that happens over in Paris, you know, witnessing, um, you know, some of the, the world's elite. Um, what makes you tick? What, what came from there? How did you um, pro- progress from having such a great foundation to, 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 to going into business? I guess it was probably a bit later than that. At that point in my life, I was still very, um, I mean, I, I guess I was ambitious, but I was still very happy to be dependent. I was kind of happy to be dependent on, on my family and, and I wasn't thinking in, on my own. Uh, that wasn't a thought of mine. Um, that became a thought, I guess, a, a feeling. And, and I think it's something that a lot of uh, people go, go through. Maybe when I was around 21, um, I, I hit a, just a bad patch in life and I just didn't feel well. You know, I've told you this before and I, I had, I felt like I had a hole in me, like there was something missing. I, I just, and I felt worse because I was like, you know, my life's, I have a good life. I have a beautiful family and amazing people around me and, and I'm safe. You know, why would I be feeling bad? 
and and that made me feel worse then. And uh, I mean, eventually, I, I it, now looking back at it, I think it was very much that I had these big ambitions. I felt like this. I felt like a special person that I'd accomplished all these things. And the reality of myself back then was that I was not a very special person. I had not accomplished very many things. <laughs> Neither was I. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think just the way I saw myself as to the reality caused like a depressive state. And that's really when I – and trying to figure that out is, is kind of what helped me get to, to the point where – no, no, I, I need to do something for myself because how I'm feeling is not working. And trying to figure out why I'm not feeling good, why I'm sad. You're trying to overcome that adversity. Um, eventually I landed on, whoa, that, that's the problem. That's that gap I was just describing. That's why I feel bad. I need to fill that gap so I don't feel bad. And and that that's what sent me on a, you know, a trajectory of of working. And, and I, I remember the day I was, my dad's a pretty like hard dude and, and I was feeling very soft at the time and, and uh, he's not an easy person to talk to like that. And so I didn't, <laughs> but, but I walked up to him and I was like, Hey, uh, I think it's time for me to be a man. I need to work. And he goes, all right, I've been waiting for you to say that. And he just kind of put me to work. He put me through a range of different companies, different businesses. Um, uh, I mean, many people know I was once a debt collector mm-hmm. uh, for a finance company my first job was actually a pizza boy for at a pizza shop, which I think is still around. In pizza. It's called Pizza Ola in, in Roseville. I used to – I don't know how much I used to get paid, but I remember the best part was I used to um, uh, get two free pizzas a night that I, I'd make myself. So like I'd do oh, my I little – humble boat. roots. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's actually – that was my first job ever. And I actually had that job because my old man was saying, you need to work at a fast food restaurant. He actually wanted me to work at McDonald's. And he said, you have to work at fast food. I was probably in year 11 or 10 or something. No, year 11. And um, you have to work at a fast food restaurant because that's what's going to teach you how processes and systems Mm. and and how companies get big, as he used to say. And uh, I did not want to work at McDonald's. (laughs) McDonald's is – you know what? I regret not going to work at McDonald's. I wish I did. But at the time in my head I'm thinking I don't want to work there. And I had a friend from school. I actually think someone from my school owned the pizza, the the restaurant. Anyway, I got a job there and – that was my first job and, and um, I didn't learn much from that other than, oh, I'm mad, paychecks. <laughs> you know, it wasn't much but I was like enjoying getting it. And um, um, I went into the finance company. I worked at a, a, at a furniture company uh, selling furniture. I ended up managing that little that store and we ended up being the highest selling for, in regards to furniture, the highest selling store in, in, in the country. Um, and so I, I experienced uh, – I guess I kind of had a – uh, the benefit of jumping into a whole range of different businesses and experiencing and kind of learning all these different things. And and finally, when I felt strong enough, um, I said to, to dad, I said, okay, it's time for me to do my own thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I opened a restaurant. Do not know why I opened a restaurant. We'll never do it again. <laughs> yeah, we'll never do it again. It was extremely hard, but it was a French restaurant in Dremoyne named Bastille. I remember it well. Yeah. Yeah. Did you come? You came yeah. to Bastille. And, um, and um, I found basically a, a, a restaurant site with a, with a month-by-month lease because there was a demolition clause on the, on the site, meaning a developer was going to come knock down the building and build a tower. And so no real restaurateurs wanted, wanted it. So uh, I, I did the lease. It was month-by-month. I think it was $1,000 a week I was paying. And I actually built a pretty good restaurant. Like it was all right. Like um, – People were coming. It wasn't profitable, but it wasn't really losing money. 
I had a ball, you know, I was, I'd never run a business before. I had no idea how to run a restaurant. I had to hire waiters and staff and all sorts of things. And, and uh, then I got cocky and changed the restaurant model. It was like a humble kind of family model that I had going on. And then I changed it to, to like, um, to a new concept, which I thought was super cool, which was like giving parents of the area, uh, um, like a city experience without being too far from their kids so that they could go for a date night without, anyway, that flopped and the restaurant basically <laughs> collapsed in about two months. But, but that was the first, so I definitely failed my first, um, my first business. Uh, and from there, yeah, that, well, I guess that was my career before Cup. That, that was, that was a summary. And just to touch on quickly, um, I know it's a cliche, but what did you learn in the restaurant game that, that, you've, that you've since applied? One thing. There's one thing. There's only one time in the restaurant, in that restaurant, that I, that I, um, uh, that I remember. And the one, one, the one time I felt proud and I had come to the restaurant one day. We had a really cool courtyard that I set up. I drilled all the pots in myself on the walls and like full DIY or whatever. <laughs> and, and, um, and I walked in one day and all the uh, waiters, uh, casual waiters, so they weren't being paid at the time, um, uh, were sitting together in the courtyard and they were practicing um, their specials. Like they were practicing how to say the menu. And I had not told them to do this. Uh, no one, pro- I, I don't even know why they were doing it, but they had come in on their own time and they, and they were excited to be a part of something. They were practicing how to do something well, something like as, as simple as speaking about a menu, which by the way is not that simple. And I remember thinking <laughs> to myself, wow, I did that. Like I created that. Like these people are all happy to be here. They're excited to be here. And, and that was a lesson for me because I learned, wow, I can do that. And it sounds stupid. It sounds so simple. But yeah, Ignite think about how many restaurants, people. you know, where the waiters just turn up without being asked <laughs> to and start practicing fucking talking about, you know, the food and shit. You know, that, that and I remember thinking – Wow, yeah, I can do that. And uh, the only other thing was, if it's, don't fix what's, what's, what's not, what is it? Don't, don't fix what's not broken. Yep. The restaurant was working. It would have kept growing if I just left it. But my cocky ass went and <laughs> tried to change it all up. up. Yeah. And, okay, so you, you've, got, uh, you've got this foundation laid. Mind you, I was 21 when I did that too. So I was, when I say, when I say I was blank, like when I was a child, like I was legit a child. I, I remember how I used to think back then. I used to think like a child too. So <laughs> it was like there were a lot of lessons in that. Well, it's, hey, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty, uh, pretty significant step from going from a, a failed business in a, in a tough industry um, to trying to create an entire new category. Let, let's touch on that. You know, what, what happens in this space between um, Bastille going down in flames yeah. to, to the ideation and <laughs> the and, French Revolution <laughs> and, and creation of Cub. What what happens there? What's your thought process and how did the idea behind Cub um, come about? Well, um, I, I guess I touched on it briefly before in that I went through that patch of not feeling great, mm-hmm. and um, and so one time, one day we went on um, a family holiday. To, just to Fiji. I think it was the, the point of the holiday was my sister had just gotten married or was getting married or something like that and it was the first holiday with, with, that fa- with their family and things like that. And anyway, I was just acting like a real piece of shit the whole holiday. It wasn't mean to be but I was young. I was just feeling depressed and I, I just wasn't happy. And um, eventually one day my nana, my nana got angry at me and told me off. I can't remember what she said but I remember it affecting me a lot. 
And you know, if your nana gets angry, like says something to you, you know you're being wrong. Like you're doing something wrong because they won't say something, you know, they, they won't do that to you unless you're really doing something that needs correction. And, and um, anyway, I just got up and, and uh, I walked up this beach in Fiji. I can't remember what hotel it was, but it was an ugly beach. I remember that. And, and just sad. I don't know if I was crying. I probably was, but, but I was just very sad. And, and I sat on, I found this hammock with the palm trees and all that. I sat on this hammock and I just started thinking, God, what like, <laughs> what am I going to do? Like, I just wasn't happy with myself. So at the time I was trying to think of a business and I was young so I wanted it to be a real cool business. What I thought in my head was a sexy business. You know, I love ownership so I wanted it to be my business. Like no one else has done this business before. Daniel's created this business and, and I just could not think of anything. And at the time I was reading Richard Branson's book or one of the books I guess and I thought, Virgin, what a weird name. That's got nothing to do with, with, um, with uh, what he does or any of the brands really. And, and I thought, okay, well, if I can't think of what my business is, I'll think of the, what the name of the business is going to be. And so I started thinking about my life and thinking about my childhood and things that I liked. And, and uh, when I was a kid, still in my top three or five favourite movies, but when I was a kid, the, the Lion King was just my favourite movie. I used to watch it two times a day, two times a night or whatever it was. A classic. Yeah, it was a classic. <laughs> Who doesn't do that? I mean, it's probably most people's childhood in my age. But, but, and so I was thinking about the Lion King. I was thinking lions, that's pretty cool. It's like King of the Jungle. You know what, lion, cub. Hmm, cub, that, that's pretty easy to remember. That's a nice name. What is a cub? Cub, it's like a future king. It's like future power, future people that want to do something with their life. I was like, shit, this is the name. Cub, how good? I was like, Matt, done. Cub is the name. It's a company for people who are going to have future power, for future king, kings and queens. And the, the lion aspect, the pride, people, a family, people there for you, people that make you stronger together with these people. And I thought, whoa, like I, the name actually got me the company. I didn't know exactly what it was Cub. You know, we have core and we, we systematically give you the opportunity to build valuable relationships with 30 other accomplished business owners every year. I didn't have that. But I had, it's a company that's going to support people trying to do, try, trying to achieve great things. And because of my situation in regards to idolizing my dad, it was great things in business. And, and, and then fr from there, I actually ran back. I, I still have the original notes in my phone. I've shown you before, I think, but it says like little lame shit like Cub, you know, future kings and queens, um, <laughs> Cub hotels, Cub media, like, you know. I went and bought all those domains too because I just started. Anyway, I ran, I ran back to my family, to my dad. I was like, dad, 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 you know, this and this business. All that like just spoke super fast. I said, this sounds great. Let's do it. Go do it. I want to watch you do it. And, um, and I did. And that's kind of, I started from there. That was, that was how Cub was how created. How long from the name did the creation of Cub actually come? Oh, two years. So if I always would have been 21 at that point and Cub launched when I was 23. So it took two okay. years. Don't forget I had to do the clubhouse. The original clubhouse was on Victoria Street in Potts Point. Mm -hmm. uh, then I couldn't use that one uh, because it had a heritage listing on it. And then um, uh, so that we ended up finding the one in Potts Point. Uh, that had to be renovated. Um, yeah, so it, it took about it, – it, it took two years. Uh, but I was excited the whole two years and I was working the whole two years. I even remember what I was doing. Someone told me, and I can't remember who, but someone said, 
the most successful people in the world do six things a day. That's it. They just do six things. They make a list of six and every day they, they, they do those six things. And so um, I don't even know if that's true or where. I, you know, I just I was young and I must have heard that somewhere. <laughs> and so for that, that whole – those two years, I was doing six things a day and only six things. And every day I'd wake up, I'd write my six things, and that's what I would do. And, and I still do that uh, now, but I do it over a week's period. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, I would go to my dad's office or I'd work from home and, and I would just I – would, I would, uh, I'd make – you know, founding membership lists. I'd think about pricing. Yeah, I, it, it, it was a good learning lesson. I looked at competition. Um, I did all sorts of things. Let's talk about why Cub exists and who for. Obviously, we're, we're a members club um, built around supporting Aussie entrepreneurs and, and business leaders. Why this market? Why is this so special and significant for you? Well, obviously, I've always idolised entrepreneurs. When I look yeah. at the members, I actually look at them – like they're my dad I, I look at them like I, I like I genuinely love them like yeah I love just not the members I just love business people my whole life it's all I've looked at it's all I've ever known and I've seen so much positivity come from it and and so when it came you know I believe that as a business owner you're in service of of a lot of people you're in service of your country you're in service of your team you're in service of your family you're in service of your clients and if I was going to choose a group of people that I wanted to serve, I was definitely choosing the people that I idolized and loved the most, which was business owners. And it doesn't mean that they're the only important people in Australia, but I have, uh, you know, if, if you could serve everyone, it would be better because you make more money, but you have financial, you know, restrictions and, and you've got to choose your market. And, and that was the market that I, that I chose. Did you ever or do you ever feel intimidated working with, uh, you know, such – Accomplished people. Accomplished people. Accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. No, I no, I don't. Is the is the answer. I feel very lucky. I always. What about when lucky. you were twenty three? Never did. I never felt intimidated. I, you have to remember though. I, you know, when I was growing up, especially overseas, I was uh, I was I only really spoke to the, I, when I'm in regards to talking to my parents or my friends there and things like that. You know, I only spoke to incredibly – they were business owners, all of them. Just everyone I knew was a business owner. And, and these, these were serious business owners. You know, these were billionaires and, and, and just incredibly scary people. And, and my, my, my old man had always put me in situations to, to speak to scary people as well. And, um, and so I, I guess I was conditioned from, from, uh, from young to, to do that. That was just – I feel comfortable. I actually prefer – I feel – I get more – I feel more anxiety in talking to uh, – I guess I feel more comfortable talking to business owners than I do anyone else. I, I really, really do. I like to talk to them. I have things to say to them. I can ask them about their business. It's an easy talk point, you know, and I, 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 definitely, I definitely enjoy that. And is there, you know, I mean, speaking to business owners, entrepreneurs, high profile, um, you know, it's a walk in the park. Is there, is there any fears underneath – um, you know, for, for yourself, anything that keeps you up at night, the old saying? Um, yes and no. My greatest fear is probably that I'm not able to achieve what I believe I'm able to achieve. So that would be like if there's something that scares me, like that would be it. But at the same time, I have never felt like I can't do it, ever. Even when Cub was losing money, even when bad things happened, even like I just – I just never felt like it, 
I always felt, I'm just always so sure that it's going to, that I'm going to keep going. I never, and honestly, I like the bad things. I really, I, like COVID for me was like, it was like I had gone to a theme park in terms of having more to do for, for work. Like I felt like I was more valuable because I, you know, I got challenged. It was like it was a bit of a challenge and I was like, yes, let's fuck this up. Let's do it. And, and look, we did, I mean, there was, that was our best year yet. You know, it was, and it was in a recession and a pandemic. Where, where does your confidence come from? Like, how did, how did you develop to be such a confident person? Well, I'm not, com- I'm not confident about everything. So that's, let's start with that. I'm, I'm not just an over, overall confident person. I'm confident with Cub and I'm confident with you. I'm confident in myself with things that I have control over. Like I'm confident that, for example, that I'll never give up. I'd rather die than lose. And I'm very competitive, but so I'm not overly confident in all aspects of life, but also I guess I watched, um, my dad came from nothing. So my parents built an incredible, uh, I guess, life and accomplished amazing things. And, and they, they were migrants. They came to Australia when they were young. So I think mum was maybe four and dad was seven or nine. Um, so they're, they're fully Australian, but, but they came, like dad came with no English. Um, his family, uh, had actually left him back in Lebanon and came without him and I think he followed four years later and uh, they were living in housing commission, I think in Mascot um, and, you know, and you, you just look at what he accomplished and I remember, you know, I've just always felt like it's just a competitive thing and I don't know if other people feel like this was their parents or if it's just me but it's kind of like, well, if he can do that with nothing then surely I can do something huge with what I've been given. And then it's kind of like, oh, if I didn't do that, I would feel insulted by myself because it's, you know, and I don't want to look at myself in that bad light because I, I guess that was, that was probably what was causing me to feel bad when I was 21. Wow, this is like a therapy session. So you're, you're <laughs> yeah. chip on the shoulder. Yeah, it's a massive <laughs> chip on the shoulder. And, and, um, and yes, I just, I never once, I can tell you for fact, I've never once ever felt that Cub was not going to succeed even when horrible things were happening. I have felt like I need to cut my losses in, in parts of the business, right? I have felt the point like, oh, again, I'm going to be better off just fucking that right off and, and focusing back on and focusing back here and that will be better for me and easier for me. Yep. I felt that. I didn't do it, but I felt it. Um, but, but that's still not giving up. That's just refocusing attention because you're going to get more reward from somewhere else. Um, yeah. Um, we've spoken a lot about Dan the man. Um, I think we've got a pretty good graph. I, I'd really love to talk a little bit more about, about Cub itself, um, you know, about why members join the club, about the problem that we solve and, and how we do that. Yeah. Oh, well, you know what? Let's get one thing straight with Cub. Our full-time job is, is making friends between accomplished entrepreneurs. That is what we do for a living. We make friends. We build relationships. What what's more beautiful than that? It's the most natural thing in the in the world. As human beings, we we've evolved to to need others. We're stronger together. That's why we're such social creatures. That's where the family construct has happened, and and we have not invented anything new. Cub is a community like any other community. It's our business owners have their family, they've got their friends. And now they've got Cub, their business family. It's a community for them, a group of people who can support them, who get them. You know, you, a lot of the members, you've got to remember, they don't want to, they don't want to um, 
and business owners in general, sorry, not just the members, but they don't want to stress their family out with things with work because work's stressful. Often they don't want to talk to their friends. Their friends norm sometimes aren't in the same position as them. And often their friends look up to them, so they don't really want to tell them like, oh, you know, I'm kind of screwed at the moment. And so they're searching for, they've always searched for a group of people, um, for a community that helps them with business. And that's what we've, that's what we've built. We've built this, this business family. And I mean, the oldest tactic of all time of securing success is to have the right network. It's to know the right people. And there's just never been a way for Australian business owners to, to do that. And, and, and now there is, and that's Cub, and that's what we do. But that works for anything. It doesn't even have to be business owners. If you want to be the best biologist in the world, you go to the best biology university with all the other best biologists or the best company of biology and with all the others, and, and you surround yourself with them, and, and you become better. If you want to be the fittest person, go to the gym, right? Yes, there's weights there, but there's also other super fit people. You meet, you build relationships. You got a relationship with your trainer. They train you. You know, like it doesn't matter what aspect, art, dance. It doesn't matter what it is. If you go surround yourself with others on that same path, with the same pursuit and the same mission that are accomplishing, you're going to become better. And if you want to be good at business or be or be safer in business and accomplish your goals, surrounding yourself with others on that same path is is what you need to do. I completely agree, but but I think also all of us um, here today definitely know that that's very much easier said than done. Communities and families and and human interaction is a very complex um, field. So you know, how how does Cub actually achieve that? How do you achieve um, valuable relationships with other people in your position? Let's talk a bit more um, about that. Well, I think what we, I mean, I think Alice here had had uh, a tremendous. A tremendous impact on that in, in the creation of, of our, our, our main networking service, which is called Core. Um, but before I, I guess before I get into that, when it comes to community building, uh, one thing I've learned very well is that for people to um, belong to a community, they need to understand the culture of that community. Mm-hmm. A, a culture exists because um, we feel comfortable together. A culture is basically like how are you supposed to act? So how am I supposed to act in order to fit into this community? Um, because, you know, you act differently. Think about your, your friends. You act different with your friends as you do with your kids and family. You act different with your uh, sport at your sports team than you do with your, you know, you've got, so each community has a culture. Even um, countries have culture. Australia's got a fantastic culture. It, I would say it's, it's a very family orientated culture, Australia. You know, I could just go up to most people on the street and they'll probably help me. That's not something that happens in other countries. I can promise you. So, so we, we, um, in order to belong, there needs to be a strong culture. And we created that culture. So you're able to create a culture. And we did that and we induct the members. That's why our induction process is so strong. Members understand what's expected. You're expected to be open-minded and take the time to get to know each other. You know, you're expected, even if you don't think there's immediate value, you're expected to share your knowledge and experiences for the benefit of another member. And yes, you're expected to, to find opportunities together and to leverage, uh, to leverage your personal network to help another member, to benefit them. You're expected to do that because others are expected to do that for you. And, and that's, I guess, the secret sauce to, to, um, to, to why our club has done well. Because, hey, we weren't always very good at servicing people. We sucked for a good three years there at servicing people. Agreed. And and people stayed. Some left, but some stayed. And the ones who stayed were always the ones who who understood and adopted the culture. And having a strong culture works even for us as a team. 
um, you know, it, 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 it just has so many benefits. And, and uh, I'd say that's the, the first priority of any community is understanding your culture. And every business owner can do that with their team, right? Your team has a culture. Let the team know what that culture is. Tell them before they onboard, before they come onto your team, they should know what that culture is. And then they'll know, okay, ooh, I don't like this team. It's not, the, it's not the culture that fits me. Or they'll say, shit, that's mad. I want to be, be there. I, I get that. And they come in with an understanding of what to do. Very, very important. That's something we do exceptionally well with our team and with our, with our members. So you've got a, a culture that sort of lays the foundation for, for community interaction. Let's mm-hmm. talk maybe a little bit more about mechanics. How does how does Cub work? So I've come into this place. I've got these great people that want to help me, that I want to help. Um, what happens from here? So, so um, I guess the, sto- the, the story in regards to how Cub evolved. Well, when Cub opened, I was 23. Um, it was just me and, and one other fellow um, named Nicholas, still a very good friend of mine. And I, I was doing the sales. People would come in and I would say, ah, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to build a business family. It's going to be amazing. We, you know, I didn't have, describe any services or anything. I just described, I guess, a culture probably, uh, which, which, which people would buy. We started selling memberships straight away. And I was almost ba- – and they were paying the same amount as they do now. Mind you, it was monthly, but still it was the same amount. And, and we had no service. We didn't have any much furniture in the club and we, and we, um, and we had no staff. And so I'd be baffled. And at the end, after after they'd filled the application out, <laughs> I'd be like, Always. So, yeah, yeah, after, submit. <laughs> but I'd say, I'd say, um, you know, why did you, why did you join? Why did you want to join? And they all said the same thing, which is that I want to meet other people in my position. You know, I, I, I'm looking for people just to talk to biz- about business and it's just, I guess, I just want to meet other people like myself. That's what they used to – almost every single person would almost say it exactly the same way. And that's when um, I learned that, okay, this is a networking company. This is what we do. Networking was an ugly word even, but it's something that people knew. They understood what the word mm-hmm. meant. So this is a networking company and, and we went through many forms of the service. Sometimes, you know, at one point we were just hosting random events and people could RSVP. We very quickly learned that, uh, well, that doesn't work because if there's someone who's busy or or – Someone um, uh, who, you know, I think they're all business owners. They're all doing their own thing. They're not going to get engaged. So it's hard to engage. You only end up engaging 20% of your community because they're the ones that are easy to engage. And so we had to figure out a way to kind of systematically ensure that every member in our community, um, uh, which is which is uh, over a 1,000 now, and, and by the end of this year, this is going to be a lot, lot bigger, that they all receive kind of a minimum viable product. They all receive a base product, the same experience. Um, um, at the same experience, but that's also somewhat tailored to them because it, it, it is. And and I guess how we did that was we created Core. And uh, how Core works, and the reason Core is structured the way it is, is, is because don't forget, we're not a... Ten- Just for our listeners as well, um, what is Core? So it's our main, it's our main product and service. Um, that basically systematically guarantees that every member uh, is going to have the opportunity to build valuable relationships with a minimum of 30 other accomplished entrepreneurs every year. So you go into a, a, a group, a, a forum? Yes, yeah, so every every uh, so every, what is it, every four months um, you're placed in a group of 10 other business owners that we that Cub believes are going to be ideal for, for you on a, a whole range of reasons in personality and all sorts of experiences. 
and your group means meets four times over the over the four month period. So once a month, basically, you meet your group. We've got the the culture forming the foundation, but then you've got an actual system through core um, to deliver those valuable relationships and make it very easy for the members to do so. Mm. That sounds amazing. I'd pay a fortune for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, for you, you only have to pay seven thousand seven hundred. <laughs> But um, no, it's 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 an incredible service, and it's one that it's one that it basically guarantees success. Every member should be able to say that by the end of their third season, uh, sorry, third year, that it would have been impossible for them to have obtained a network as good as they have without having been a part of Cup. That, and that's really, it, guys, our goal. That's that's what we get. That's what we want to guarantee every single member, and we're fast tracking that, right? In um, to obtain a network would typically take 20 to 30 years of a successful career and you get it at the end when you're rich and, you may, you know, and, and you're retiring and you don't need it anymore. Right? But what about, imagine having that incredible network at this, not the start, but while you're on the journey when you actually need that network. So we're basically turning a 20 to 30 year process into a three year process. So is that a three years? Is that what a member's life cycle No, but that, like? that's, that's basically... That their their network will grow the most in the first three years. So in in their first year, members are just getting comfortable. They're basically adopting the culture of the club. They build their initial relationships. They understand the rhythm and the services of the events and the, you know, that type of thing. They become friends with the team and, and that type of thing. They're just getting comfortable in the first year. It's the second and the third year which are their network expansion years. That's when your network will really really grow. I would dare say as well that you would be a very good example of how you benefit from Cub. How's Cub impacted your life, you know, and, and business having access to um, these incredible entrepreneurs? Do you think it's deeply affected the way that you've run the business and, and allowed you to succeed probably far greater than, than you would have without well, it? Yeah, you've got to remember that Cub, I mean, I had no experience. I didn't know, I didn't have a business plan or anything like that. I didn't, uh, I didn't have like a competitor analysis and all, all this bullshit. I just just did it and the reason it worked was because Cub worked for me the same way it works for everybody in that yeah. I was surrounded by people that were telling me, oh, you should do that. Oh, have you thought about this? Yeah, let me introduce you to this person. Yeah, and, and, and also um, I was quite young and so it was very normal for me to be around business owners. So I, you know, just being around these people, others that are in your position almost normalizes the chaos, the chaos of being, being an entrepreneur. And Cub, I guess – impacted my life and that it helped me build Cub. You know, the business owners, the, the members built Cub. The members are Cub. The members are what we sell, right? We sell relationships. If we have, if we have uh, no, no members, we have nothing to sell. If we have members who do not have great values and who uh, are not accomplished entrepreneurs and do not fit our profile, well, again, we don't have much to sell. So part of what we do is – part of our service to the members is actually growing the community continuously because we're continuously looking for new people for you to get value from. So all of you should be referring nonstop. <laughs> <laughs> you do. Thank you so much for doing so too. And, yeah. And Daniel, what have your biggest challenges been throughout your cub journey? Well, that was a good question. Um, I would say the – the, the hardest thing for me that I ever did – there two, two, sorry. There were two, two big challenges. The first – three big challenges, sorry, three. The first was figuring out an actual service offering. 
which basically means having a product. So Did I had, you realise at the start, like for the first, say, three years when you said you didn't really have a product you were selling, did you realise that was missing or was it yeah, can't? Yeah, I was aware. Okay. I was aware. I knew it wasn't working basically. Mm-hmm. I, people were getting value, um, you know, people loved it, there were big advocates of it. Uh, the people who left, they did not like it, they just didn't use it and that was because we weren't engaging them. Um, um, so, no, I knew there was – and also it wasn't what I envisioned in my head. Mm-hmm. Um. So, uh, no, I knew there was a hole and, and, and creating that product, which you actually created, which is Core, creating that product made uh, – uh, Core made it exceptional. But before that, there were a few other products we did that were, that were, that were great and they created fantastic retention and, and things like that. But creating, create, coming up with a product that doesn't exist, no other company does it, uh, was hard. And you have to remember too, it's not like starting a digital marketing company or a – or a real estate agency. You know, we had no one to copy. We didn't. We had to invent everything, mm-hmm. uh, which it would actually leads me to my the second biggest problem, which was how did we find team? We, it was so hard for me to build this team. It was just so hard because you advertise job roles that don't even exist. You know, if I'm going to advertise uh, a graphic designer role, well, there's heaps of graphic designers. You know, people will apply, but how do you um, uh, like how do you advertise your role? For example, there's no one else in this country, Alice, who does what you do. And our original roles, our current roles, no one does what we with the, We're one of one team. Yep. There's no other team like us. And it took years not just to find people but then to actually become Team Cub, to, to understand the company, to create our operations and our job structures and role structures. Creating something completely new is much harder but you get the bigger benefit. So your business model is now great and there's, there's you know, there's not competition. Uh, there's no other way for business owners to obtain a network uh, like ours, not in the time period we do it. So, you know, it has its benefits. So the team was the, the second. And then the third was uh, opening Melbourne. I did that too soon. That was a mistake. Now, Melbourne's my favourite. <laughs> no. I love Melbourne. Melbourne's, gonna, Melbourne's also going to have the biggest club in the country uh, with, with us purchasing the, purchasing the building in the, in the CBD then, uh, calling it the super club. Um, and Melbourne is um, uh, got a fantastic team and an incredibly long-standing community and and all that type of thing. But but I, I did Melbourne too quickly. I wasn't ready. We did not have um, we had a great team in Sydney, which is why I did it because we we're making a lot of money. And um, but I fucked it up because I split the team into two. I sent half of them to Melbourne. And I kept half of them to Sydney. So I took something that was working great, was producing cash, and I broke it. And that was forgot your lessons from Bastille. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't learn these. Where were you, Anne? Were you Melbourne or Sydney? Sydney. You stayed in Sydney. Yeah. Okay. That was so. So th- that was the the problem. We had a great team, and we kind of just split. So it became just two half a teams, and you can't function. And what did you hire more people for Sydney? Were they running on? I don't know. I can't remember. We were running on fumes there. For yeah, a bit. you were. <laughs> I know that was Anthony's. That was Anthony's worst year at Cup oh, by yeah. far. Okay. Yeah, that was chaos. But we battled on. Yeah, we, that, and that's what we do. And you know what? We never ever sat down and said, "Fuck!" Like, oh, I'm worried. What? That never, nah. ever, not once ever happened. Nah. Ever. If anything, we we're just positive. Like, yeah, it was pretty Keep mad. Now forward. we now we got two clubs. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but that was a mistake. I shouldn't have done that er- that early. Not just so because of the team. But we hadn't worked out our, our business model correctly yet. We didn't have core the service. Mm-hmm. We didn't have our key metrics. We didn't have our ops sorted, and we certainly didn't have a big enough or strong enough team to do that. Um, mm-hmm. Now it's very different. We can open other clubs. Uh, we do need someone to go run it, right? So we need a club head, 
but we we can do that. It, it, it's not difficult for us to do that. So, so those were definitely the three biggest. Melbourne was hard at one, at one point. Melbourne was losing a lot of money too. You have to remember that. And you're thinking, oh God, I got a business here making money. I got a business here losing money. Like it's very tempting to be like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. I'll just shut this one and, and make more from this one. But I was definitely not doing that because I knew that Cub is going to be Australia's brand and community for entrepreneurs. And to do that, we need the two biggest cities. And I love Melbourne as a city. I love the members in Melbourne. I was just not going to quit. There's absolutely no way. And and look, you just keep sticking out yep. and, and you get there. And also you have to remember every adversity that you get to, it's another adversity that someone else is going to not get over. They're going to fail on it. So the further, you, the further I push and the further we push as a team, the, the less people are going to be able to get us ever. We're going to be so far down. We get so good at jumping over these hurdles that ah, we didn't give a fuck anymore. We're just going to keep – we're going to just keep rolling the way we're rolling. And I always looked at it that way. And uh, look at Melbourne now. It's, it's just – it's, it's just beast. such a yeah. – it's a beast. It's a beast. I can vividly remember your old man saying to us, you boys are flying blind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he used to say that because we had no we had. bad reporting, no metrics. We didn't have any – we didn't understand anything. He was like, you guys, are just, you're, you're, you're flying blind, yeah. What did he say to me? He goes, you're playing soccer, you don't know the rules. Yeah. <laughs> and so how – I guess how we resolved those issues. Um, Melbourne, we just didn't give up and, and we got there and um, – I can't remember the process so much of that, but that was just definitely mostly not giving up. And me, I remember I had to live in Melbourne. I didn't want to live in Melbourne. I had my family here. I had everything here. My nice apartment here. I, I was happy living in Sydney, I, you know, but sometimes you've got to do things that you, you don't want to do in order to achieve. And, and um, so, I mean, that was Melbourne. Finding the team, we started not searching for experience. We started searching for people that – that ah, this person fits the culture of the club. They're ambitious. They're people person. Um, uh, you know, they they they, they love business. Um, and and you know, we found people and we just fitted in. We, we let them build their own role. You know, all we did was kind of say, "This is our culture." Like mm-hmm. Calvin applied for the marketing manager role. Never done marketing in his life. We're like, "This guy's great. I love this guy's." Come for a role that uh, he's never done before. You'd be great in this team. <laughs> yeah, come and, and look at him now. He's a he's a gangster. Jeez. And. Um, um, and um, so the team it was really, okay, well, if we can't find job-specific people, let's find culture-specific people. And uh, in regards to the service, it was, I mean, we worked backwards, you know. Um, we said, what is the value that people get? What do we sell? We sell a great network. Okay, why do we sell that? What's the value people get from a great network? Okay, well, they, they, they find business opportunities. They... Um, uh, they get great knowledge. Let knowledge. They get great knowledge. Sorry, and they build friendships that uh, with people that are relatable to them and that can assist them and, and normalize this process for them. And we said, okay, well, let's design a service that does exactly those things, and at the same time solves problems such as um, um, uh, ensuring that every engagement is valuable and enjoyable. And we know they're valuable because we've got the agenda and we've chosen who they're meeting. And these are people that need organization, which is why we pre-plan their their engagements with the club four months in advance. You know, and, and so we worked backwards to build the service and it was the best thing we ever did. And what about now? So you've sorted the service, you've sorted the team, Melbourne's a beast. What's your biggest challenges now? Sydney's also a beast. I don't want to Oh, sorry. Yeah, Sydney's a beast, but like <laughs> Sydney's you know. actually a bigger beast, but <laughs> Melbourne will catch it, I reckon. But you know, Melbourne's not a issue for you now. It's not a no. challenge for you now. No, it's so, a blessing. Yeah. Um what what 
What scares you now? And shout out to Team Melbourne who made that possible, especially Holly and Jordan. Yes, Holly, superstar. Rock stars. What would you say? Sorry. So what's your biggest challenge now? Um, We are about to go through a lot of growth pain. That's what's going to happen. I can promise you that. We're about to get much, much bigger and uh, we're going to have to change the way we do things. And that's why the focus this year is going to be this app. Right? And this app is not going to be easy. Like we're, we already learned today that it was <laughs> – and yesterday that it was a bit of pain in the ass. But, but, but we'll get there. And the good thing about our type of company is that our members are on our team. We're building something for them, something that does not exist. Right? You, those, they cheer for that because, because we're working for them. You know, we, we are, and they have to believe that we're going to do that. So, so the app is going to allow for a lot of things, but it's going to allow – basically it's going to allow members to obtain value outside of core and to leverage the network for themselves. Imagine having your network in your pocket that you could reach out to for guidance, assistance, or anything you need at any time. Um, uh, that's what the app's going to do. So rather than us having action connections, organize uh, events and do all that type of stuff, members are now going to be able to do that. Or members, when they're in Byron Bay, oh, which other members are in Byron Bay? They can see them and catch up with them. Members can create their own events. They can build their own personal network on the app. Obviously not the first version of the app, the, the one that's launch, launching in July. But that's huge for Cub. That, that, that's important. And the reason I bring that up as a problem is because it already is a problem because we've never done technology before. I hate technology and, you know, we're going to have to focus on it. There's going to be growth pains. But us to, for us to manage our the size of this club now and, and the pace that it will grow this year hasn't started yet. Can someone start selling please soon? <laughs> I haven't seen the engine go but whatever. Um, but to, for us to manage that, we're going to have a lot of problems. We're going to need an operations manager. We're going to have to have a lot more automation in our communication and things. Um, people are going to get more role specific. Um, you know, I, I'm aware that there's, there's going to be a big increase in staff this year. I don't like hiring new people because it means more cost. But if they're great people and and um, and they allow the rest of the team to do their jobs even better and make everyone happier, then we'll be doing that. And we will have to do that this year. Um uh, but growth pains are going to be our next problem and we will make little stumbles. But so long as, uh, you know, like any company, if you're, if you're honest with your clients and you're telling them, hey, I'm trying to build something for you, I'm going to, you know, we're the first doing it. So we're going to scrap along the way, but we will get there. If history taught us anything is that we get there and we do the best at it. And if they believe you, they, they, they excuse little mistakes and they hang around. And I'm going to assume that we're going to have, need a lot of <laughs> a lot of that Being over excused. the next year. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're going to have problems when, with expansion. Next year we're expanding. The, the next five years yeah. is going to be pretty chaotic for us. We've got This year we've got the app and Brisbane launches. Next year we're going to expand across the entire country. We'll have communities in Adelaide, Perth, even Wollongong, Byron Bay, everywhere that's, that's, um, that we believe we, we can help business owners. At the end of the day – our goal is the vision is to unite Australia's entrepreneurs, ensuring that all Aussie entrepreneurs have the network needed to succeed, to help Australia, basically supporting Australia by supporting Australian business. This is what we're doing. Because, yeah. I was going to say, do you see CUB going further than Australia? No, yes and no. So the answer towards yes is that uh, in, so, uh, in 2005, no, 2025, 20, we will open our first international club, uh, potentially 24. But, but we're not going to open many. I'd, I'd assume that we're going to have five in some of the world's major cities where a lot of our members do business. 
And the reason we have them is to help Australian business and Australian brands reach out overseas. Imagine how much easier it would be to expand to New York if I could go there. I had my cub, cub that was there. I had my business family there. I have a network there. I've got a place to work from while I'm there. I'll be introduced to, uh, to American business owners very easily and seamlessly. My cub team there is the same as my cub team here. and They're in communication helping me get in on this market. You know, imagine doing that in London, in Singapore, in Dubai, you know, a whole bunch of places. So Cub will always be an Australian company supporting Australia. It, the whole point of it is to help Australian business owners. We're not here to help mm -hmm. the uh, international business owners. We're helping Australians. Um, but in doing that, I think it will benefit them to have some clubs overseas. That being said, it won't be a members club for, uh, for, uh, for other countries. Yep. It's an Australian members club. So... Uh, and and most of our most of our members will be in Australia, so yeah, that that, that that's the answer to that. But we got the app this year, we got the expansion next year, the year after we, we got a, a whole bunch. Of, actually, was about to give away some of our secrets, but we're not going to give them away. But <laughs> but there are some incredible uh, technologies that are going to be coming out that year that we're already developing, and then from there we're expanding overseas. So there's there's such an exciting kind of journey that we're on, and and a cool thing about uh, Cub is that the members are on our journey with us. They support us. They help us. They make it possible to do it. And we're fighting for them. We're fighting their battle. We're fighting for the Australian entrepreneur to make it easier because what they do is not easy. It's not even supposed to be easy. Otherwise, everyone would do it. It's supposed to be hard. And we're trying to make it easier for them. And we're doing that by giving them a business family, a group of people who catch them when they fall and lift and, and, and stand on each other's shoulders and make us strong. We're stronger together than we are apart. It's, I mean, you always hear me say that at the end of speeches are covered and things like that, and it's because it's true, especially for business owners. Could not agree more. Could not agree more. And I think, uh, again, I, to, to, to close on on Cub, I'd like to, to turn back to you, yourself as well. Um, I think you're a really good case study for, for what Cub does for people. You've gone from... You, know, you talked about your challenges with feeling depressed and disconnected with who you actually were. How would you sum up how Cub has impacted your life? What is what is the difference for you personally, Daniel Hakim, from where you were there to to where you are now? You know, just over five years um, into this journey building Cub. Isn't it weird to like think of me as like a depressed person? <laughs> like, do you find that weird? Yeah. Do you imagine like imagining me like that. Um, but I guess that's very evidence as to you know. Adversity is there for a reason. Your body feels bad things, bad feelings are there for a reason. And they're there to, to make you fix them, to do something about it, which makes you stronger. They're there to make you stronger. And if I was going to answer your question, Ant, as to how Cub uh, was it, was it, has impacted, it's impacted your life. Well, I would yeah. say that is it. Just figuring out how to make myself feel better, just unlocking that code where adversity is a good thing, pain is a good thing. Mm -hmm. right? Cub let me practice that. At the start of Cub, I thought, oh, shit, if one person didn't like it, they were going to tell everyone the whole company was going to fall over. Right now, I couldn't give a fuck what anyone does. I know it's going to work. I, I can actually guarantee you Cub will work and they won't probably. Like, that's how confident I will be in it. And, um, and, and so it's given me the ability to practice that, um, that, that, uh, that skill, which is enjoying the challenge and enjoying – there is always a way. Is probably the most important thing Cub has taught me. There is mm -hmm. always a way. Just are you man enough to go get it, or man or woman enough to go get it? But there's always a way. 
Um, like all of us here at Cub Dan, you're a great patriot uh, for this great country that we live in. What do you think that you know Australia as a nation, as a people, and, and importantly as a government should be doing um, to create more entrepreneurs or to make things easier uh, for entrepreneurs? Yeah, I can answer that one. Um, first of all, the reason you'd want more entrepreneurs is because they definitely make the country stronger. They create jobs. They provide goods and services to the community. Um, if the, 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 the most business owners, I know sometimes you can have the bad, uh, the bad egg that you see on the news about businesses that are doing the wrong thing, but most Australian business owners, they're, they're providing a, a great product and service at a good price and, and they're, they're, they're just they're great people. They're serving not just their families, but they're serving the families of the people that work for them as well and, and the people that they actually serve. So first of all, you want more business owners because they make the country stronger. Plus, financially, they make the country stronger. Um, how I think what we need to do as a society and as a country is we need to celebrate these stories of, of success, especially stories of people who made it from nothing. It's much easier to do it, to make it from something. For example, it's much easier to do what I did, right? You, your motivation is less, so not everyone does it because oh, I don't, don't really need to, so you actually choose to do it, which is a whole other thing, but 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 – we need to be celebrating Australian entrepreneurship and celebrating business. There should be shows on TV about it. When you watch the news, there are sports stars and they should be celebrated because they unite like uh, society. But what the, but business owners should be celebrated too. Okay. You know, they, they should be icons. They're kids, little kids should be saying, oh, I want to be like X. Who? Maybe Steve Jobs, but he's not Australian. And there's tons of great Australian business owners, but we don't idolize them and we don't celebrate them in the media. There needs to be media that idolizes them. And then little kids, and or particularly people that come from backgrounds that it's not easy. You know, everyone starts in a different situation. There's always someone worse than you, so we'll never forget that. But everyone starts in a different situation. And, for example, uh, there could be some uh, incredible kids that have started life in a, in a non-ideal situation. And if they were able to see stories of people who created something great that had a similar upbringing or background, they would believe, all they need is an example. And we need to give more examples and that will create uh, more belief because people, they need to believe that they can do that. And if they see people similar to them achieve great things through business, they're going to start that process and start believing. And, and that's what I think this country needs to do. It's all about celebrating entrepreneurs. So Daniel, you have got a big library over there mm -hmm. of books mm -hmm. um, and we all know you like to read. What What's your favourite book or what's been one book that you found has impacted your way of thinking. I actually thought about side. this. From, I read the prep sheet and I, well, I, I created a Did prep you? sheet. I, <laughs> so I knew that was coming. But um, I thought about this because I didn't want to, I actually want to share three books and I don't want them to be books people have read before because everyone, a lot of people say books that, that are like the icon books, everyone reads them. And, and so one that I have is uh, probably my favourite one is called Playing to Win. I can't remember the, the authors, but it's like a green and yellow book. So if you type Playing to Win in Google, it'll come up. And it's just an excellent book on creating a business strategy and how to implement that strategy into your business. I, that's probably one of my favorite books. That's the one I recommend the most. I'm currently reading a book, however, that I really enjoy. I don't actually agree with everything it, it, that's in it, but it gives me a really cool understanding of uh, how to position yourself in the market and in your industry. And that is called The Origin of Brands by Al Rees. Um, and uh, that's a really cool book. He kind of relates brands to Darwin's Theory of Evolution. And uh, I really like how he does that because I kind of think of things in, 
in, in similar ways to that and, and kind of link things together. Um, and um, I guess if anyone wants a really long slog of a read, it's kind of boring, but it's one of the best books that's ever on uh, strategy. Uh, it's called Competitive Strategy by Michael E. Porter. It's a big book, but it's going to allow you to learn how to kind of look at your market, I uh, understand it and where you should fit and how you, should, how you can create a defensible business strategy. So I really like those three books, but I would suggest the first one above the other two. Okay. Uh, playing to win. Yeah, playing to win. Okay. It's even got a cool name because you, like, you remember it easy. Anything from your journey at Cub or, or perhaps even from one of these books that the, the listeners can take away that's, that's implementable um, I'll in their business? I'll tell you my hot tip. Now, the, my, my greatest lesson from Cub is still there is always a way. That's, that's, that's definitely my greatest lesson from Cub. But one thing that, that always sticks with me and that I really, really love is something my dad used to say, which was uh, they can copy what you do but not what you think. Not what you're thinking. They can't see what you're going to do. They can't see what's in your brain. And so if they're copying what, copying what you do, they're always going to be behind you. And uh, I really love that quote. That's probably my favourite quote actually. Did I just answer your next question? <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was coming. <laughs> and Daniel, we know you're a bit of a creature of habit. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to share with the listeners what your sort of routine is and, and why you why you stick to that? I just have a good morning. If you start your day good, um, I feel like the rest of the day just kind of happens. I have a good morning routine. Like every day I go to the same cafe, I sit in the same seat. I even order from the same waiter. So I only order from one waiter. I actually don't even know his name. I think it's Michelle. Anyway, um, I order the same meal. I have <laughs> two posts, avocado, two pieces of brown toast and baked beans. Uh, I order the same coffee. Like I'll have my coffee, finish that, have – <laughs> A tea. I'm sounding crazy, aren't I? Have a tea, then have my meal, then have a green tea and always in a takeaway cup and they know to bring me the bill as soon as I order the green tea because that's what I do. <laughs> and so I have a very structured morning and in between all of that, uh, I start my morning drinking my coffee and reading a book. I'll just read a chapter of whatever book I'm reading. Not because I'm particularly trying to soak it all in, but more so I'm getting my brain moving. So I have my coffee, I read my book. By the time I finish that, I'm ready to do something productive. So I, I review, if it's a Monday, I, I write my what I need to get done this week. But if it's uh, any other day, I'll review what um what I haven't done yet, what I am in the middle of doing and what I have completed. Uh, and I like ticking them off because it makes me feel like I did something yesterday. I'm like, fuck, I had a good day yesterday. Um, Then I watch UFC <laughs> on my iPad while I eat and then I start my day. But So, I, so it's enjoyable but it's also um, – but it's also like I love my morning. It's my favourite part. I told you this yesterday. It's my favourite part of my day. But – it also sets me up for a great day and and um, I keep my day flowing. I, I don't need to schedule my day intensely. I, I just need to get done what – I need to get done what I plan to get done because if I get done what I plan to get done, well, then I did I, – I won. I, like Everything's like a winning to me, like a game. I won. I won. If I do more, I win more. But I won. I just wanted to know I won. And, and, and that definitely helps me. But routine is always like uh, – even you know me when I fly on the plane, I sit in the same seat. I even try to sit in the same – I used to try to sit in the same seat in the lounges, but obviously that doesn't always work out. But I'd always sit in the same seat in the plane. I just think it helps you because you don't have to think. You're comfortable. Um, and I even eat lunch at the same cafe as I eat breakfast every day. So I eat the same place twice a day only because it's just, it's just <laughs> easier for me. I know what I'm going to be eating. I know I'm going to like it. I know it's going to sustain me. My body knows what it is. I'm going to be able to work better. So, I mean, that's not all my routine, but that's probably the most important part of it. So, and I bet you a bunch of listeners 
and business owners can relate to having really well, I remember when we had Mark Boris um, at the club and he said his morning and nights were, well, I think nights as well. Yeah, but he's um, psycho. He's morning. He wakes up at four. He's at the. He's boxing by five. He has <laughs> yeah. his breakfast. At the, he actually has breakfast at the same cafe every morning as well. I wouldn't say which one it is, but. Same yeah, shirts. Yeah, same. Got, he wears yeah. the same clothes, same everything. So. I mean, I try to mix it up and have different suits on, <laughs> but um, yeah, I reckon a lot of a lot of it just you don't have to think about it, and because mm. I don't have to think about it, it just kind of one less thing you don't need day. to think about. Yeah, I find it just easy. Yeah, mm. I guess so. I've listened to enough podcast episodes uh, with catching up with Cub to know that you always always demand of our uh, members that they leave listeners with one closing thought or, or, or sentence. So Dan, leave us with some gold. I would just, I would, I guess, I would just say that. No matter who you are, if you're a business owner, if you're a teacher, an artist, whatever it is, it's so important to have a group of people to help you accomplish your goals within within your passion. You know, that's the most important thing you can do. It doesn't matter if you're a business owner or not. It's if you want to accomplish your goals, surround yourself with people who share that passion. And 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 on top of that, not just your passion, but that are aligned with your culture. And and that's what we do at Cub. We do that for business owners and that's what everyone should do. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And um, uh, this is my last hosting. Uh, hosting <laughs> gig. You've been fired. Thank you. <laughs> See you guys. Bye. See you guys. Thank you. <laughs>